we made it, we got it, we're here. Like, that was beautiful, singing together like that too. Uh, absolutely, uh, there's some Kleenexes over there, or really napkins if you guys need them. Usually they're in the sanctuary, but uh, absolutely, just, just getting together. And so, as, as we're going through the, the music, and especially as, you know, this is so different today, but not the end of the world by any means, or stretch of the imagination. But how amazing is it, and especially this kind of ties into what I was saying this morning, that ultimately, like, you know, I got this message at 2.30 that we should cancel our service, and I'm like, oh, that's not an option. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I don't necessarily believe in that. Like, even during the pandemic, yes, we'll go online, yes, we'll change and do these different things, but I don't think canceling is ever the right solution or the right option. But I realized something in this, and it kind of set my heart on fire a little bit, is that I'm at the mercy of this other church, so to speak. I'm at the mercy of all these other people, Rana. And I don't necessarily get a choice, right? Like, I've wanted to help, I've wanted to paint, I've wanted to do these things. I've certainly put us out there to, to help and to volunteer, but at the end of the day, this is their building, and they can do with it however they want. Then there's really nothing I can say about it. And that's fine. But it made me realize that, well, I'm under their mercy. But then more so, it made me realize, well, I'm always under God's mercy. <laughs> and I think that's that's the moral of the story, right? Is that we all, in, in the end of the day, are under God's mercy. Not getting the punishment that we so rightly deserve, which is what mercy means. And so as we approach this text today, and as we've approached the text from the last couple weeks, we've, we've certainly seen it's all by grace in and through our Lord Jesus. But I changed the, the title a little bit, Peace and Unity in and through Christ Jesus, as opposed to Lord Jesus. Because Christ being the Messiah, Christ being God's anointed one, his title is higher than any other title that exists here on earth, and he is Lord, he's eternal. The list goes on and on if we go back to Ephesians chapter 1, those last few verses. And then last week, it was all by grace because we've been brought from certain death to life. And so, not only are we brought from certain death to life, what does that mean? Where do we go after that? And so Paul continues in Ephesians today as, as we go through and talk about peace. And coincidentally enough, it's all about us together as the church. Yes, we are individuals. Yes, we all make our own decisions. Yes, we all lead our own lives. But as you'll see from the very last point, too, on the back of the bulletin, that individualism in Christ doesn't really exist. It's more so we are who we are, right? We're all different, don't get me wrong, but together and under this new calling that Jesus has for us, this is where we find ourselves. And so praise the Lord, certainly for all that he does, has done, and is continuing to do, because that kind of goes with Yahweh, which means he who will be, is, and has been. And so past, present, future, as we've talked about that as well, continues in this text. So 
Dear Heavenly Father, as we approach your word, certainly tune our hearts and our minds to your will. Let this be a joy for us. Edify us in your word. Show us the goodness of the gospel, and certainly may this be applicable for all of our lives, both individually as well as corporately together as the church. For you have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light, and in doing so, you've given us new meaning and new purpose and a new identity. And so let us embrace this identity, let us embrace this meaning and purpose, but more so, let us embrace this amazing relationship that you've reconciled with us, that we might truly live as you call us to live, and as you designed for us to live. It's in your name we pray, amen. amen. All right, Frank, I don't know, there, there are some little Bibles, uh, if you have those. There you go. 1079, 1080. Frank's on top of this. He's the guy I turn to. Okay. No, I understand. It is what it is. Uh, so yeah, no microphone, no no slides, no no special anything. Just a guy. And so so here we are. So let's read the text. Therefore. Remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Amen. That's the word of the Lord. Simple, right? Yeah. Easy this time around. <laughs> no, very much so. Uh, it is relatively easy, but... Paul's choice of words definitely make it a little more challenging. Focusing on the first point, though, verse 11 to 13. Hopefully you see it on the back of your bulletins, how I've broken it out for you. I want to break this into just three little verses, as that's what it is. Verse 11, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. So, Paul knows the Old Testament really well. Make no mistake about that. 
Paul was the Jew of Jews. We can go into Philippians, we can see his pedigree and his outline. Paul certainly knew the Old Testament really well. And being a Jewish person and knowing the Old Testament, you'll know that there are two different types of people, right? There's Israel, the Jewish population. Those are God's people. And then there's Gentiles, which is everybody else that's not God's people. You can pick any nation you want other than Israel. They would be Gentiles. They would not be God's people. So we need to start there, knowing that there are those two different types of people. Then we have the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. Believe it or not, this is an insult back in the day. This is uh, name calling, if you will. Because, as we'll see from the next verse, and we'll talk to that, the uncircumcision aren't part of God's family. They don't have his promises, they don't have his hope, they don't live with God, they don't acknowledge God, they are completely without him. And so, the circumcision, the Jews, God's people, would poke fun at those that are the uncircumcision, because they're not God's people. Kind of can sound familiar to today, too, where there's a lot of people that think that their righteousness makes them better than other people. Same kind of concept, but different. Okay? Ultimately, though, we see that, remember, you Gentiles, you people who weren't God's people, now you are God's people. That's what he's, that's what he's bringing up to this. Especially when we consider last week's text of being brought from death to life. And there are many illustrations throughout scripture. One of my favorites come from uh, the Gospel of John, where he's talking about God, the Father being the vine dresser, Jesus is the vine, and we are the branches. It's another type of form of um, where God, you know, shows who he is in this, and he shows who the people are, and how the people, apart from God, really don't have a clue, if you will. They don't know their left hand from their right hand. And so, verse 11, very simply, remember, all of us, especially as we look to the church today, because we are not Israel, we are not Jewish, maybe, you know, I don't think any of you are Jewish in here, but maybe, uh, it, it can exist, right? Certainly not limiting it, and Israel still has a special place, but understand that the Gentiles are being grafted in to God's plan of salvation, which is all of us. Because I wasn't born Jewish, I'm not from any of the tribes. I really have no purpose, no meaning. I didn't know God until God did what he did in Ephesians chapter 2, 1 to 10, which was bring a dead man to life. And that's what he's done for all of us. And that's what verse 11 is culminating, if you will. Remember, you don't belong, but now you belong. You're part of God's family. And then he really hammers it home in the third point, but we'll get there. And so verse 12, he continues, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, have no hope, and you're without God in the world. What those are and what that is describes the plight of everyone that you know that doesn't know Jesus. That's, that's again, much like how Ephesians chapter 2 in the beginning of verse 1 through 3 pretty much described how everyone's dead until God brings them to life. Very similarly in verse 12 here, this is the, the, the state of the union, if you will, with all of everyone that we know that don't know Jesus. And so, those are five pretty big issues when you think about it. 
The first one, I think, encapsulates everything. You, 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 you're no relation to Christ. You have no, like, how, how are you holy? How, how do you pay for your own sins? How do you make yourself righteous? How do you, how do you, how do you, how do you, answering a bunch of, you know, questions on how, how do we become righteous? How do we become holy? How do we defeat the sin? Alienated from God's people. That kind of goes with that verse 11. You know, the Jewish people, knowing God, will make fun of the people that don't know God. They're alienated from God's people, which is the commonwealth of, of Israel. Like, there are blessings in being God's people. Strangers to the covenants of promise. That's a huge one. I could spend a long time on that. But very simply, God has covenants. He has plans. We are under the covenant of grace with Jesus. Christ is Lord. But God had made covenants throughout all of history. The first one with Adam, then the next one with Noah, then the next one after that with Abraham, then Moses, then David, or actually Joseph, then, then David. Either way, God's always been working on covenants and promises, which is a relationship. Marriage is a covenant relationship, to put it that way. So, in fact, if you, we, when we get to Ephesians chapter 5, which will take quite a few more weeks, but you will see that marriage was designed and created by God to show his intimate relationship with his church or his people. And that's what marriage is, too. It's two people becoming one person. And so, we're no longer a stranger to those covenants, but here's, here's the two big ones at the end. No hope and without God in the world. Oh, I feel like that describes my kids, <laughs> that describes many other people's kids, that describes other people's brothers and sisters, that describes so many people that I know. Hope, again, we've talked about this in the past, but hope from an earthly definition is nothing more than a wish. It's filled with doubt. It's filled with empty kind of wish-washiness, if you will. Think about when you use the word hope. I hope you come over. It means I, I want you to come over, but if you don't, it's okay. I hope you do. I hope today goes well. <laughs> I hope the building doesn't stink too bad of paint. <laughs> These are the types of things that we use the word hope for. But hope from a biblical definition is confident assurance. There is no doubt in that whatsoever. And that is a fundamental change that all of us in Christ can hopefully agree on because we do have hope. We know the creator of earth and everything that's in it. We can hope in earthly things, but I think we hope for things that are much greater that aren't tangible. For, as Paul says in another book, who hopes for what you know they see? We'd much rather hope for those things that we don't see and for those people that we care about. And then know God. Let's be real. Much like I just said with the whole mercy thing, without God, I, I don't know who I am. I don't know why I'm here. I don't really understand what's wrong with the world. I have no clue on what's being done to fix the world, so on and so forth. God has filled in every single blank of, of questions, not, not, but of who I am. Not every blank, because there's going to be a lot of things that we still have to take on quote-unquote faith. So... What's the solution? The solution is verse 13. But now, which if you go back to you know chapter two, we have that, but God, it's the same kind of concept because God did something.
But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And so, verse 13 is God's solution, which is the gospel. And what does the gospel do? Specifically, it reverses everything in verse 12, as we just said. Now, you are no longer separated from Christ. And in fact, as Paul has described it, faith is the glue that binds us together with Christ, which is why he continues to say so often in so many different ways to be in Christ, in Christ, with Christ. So that's why I've named a lot of these sermons in and through Lord Jesus or Christ Jesus, because without that faith that God gives that binds us to Christ, well, none of these other things happen. None of these other joys. You're still left floundering, right? So not only are you not separated from Christ, now you are part of God's people. You're not alienated from the commonwealth and the goodness of what God has in this community of people. You are part of his community of people. And then going on, now you're no longer strangers to those covenants or the promises of God. In fact, that's where your hope comes from, is in the promises of God and the character of God and the nature of God in who he is. So we know that he is good and he is good all the time. In him is no darkness at all. And so we're no longer strangers to those covenants. We're no longer strangers to those promises of God. We can embrace those as our own promises of God. And now instead of no hope, we do have hope. We know who we are. We know why we're here. We understand what's wrong with the world, and we know what God is doing to fix it with a new heaven and a new earth. And so, without God in the world, which is the fundamental issue, you know, that, that we all have, or, or Christ, if you will, that it begins with, kind of begins and ends the same way, now you are with God. And we can have communication with Him every day through prayer through conversations, and it's all about the relationship, first and foremost, that we all have with our Lord Jesus. I don't see anyone have the sweatshirts on, because it's going to be, oh, no, Pat's got it on, because it's going to be warmer today. Alicia's got it, too. okay, well, love Jesus, love people, right? That's, that's our motto, isn't that the entirety of the relationship of life that we now leave, live, <laughs> is that it is first and foremost about our relationship with God, and then it becomes our relationship with God's people as well as how we deal with everyone else. And so that's the two great commandments summed up in a, in a little nutshell, if you will. But in sum, human, our human plight is our separation from God. That's the fundamental rock issue. Yes, you could say, well, we're spiritually dead, we don't understand, I think it's all stemming from separation from God. Everything stems from that separation from God. Because life comes from Him, and life is to be enjoyed in His presence. If you've ever read the catechisms that man has tried to, to, to simplify God's Word by listing out multitude of different things, the catechism, the very first one. What is the whole purpose? What is the whole meaning of man? And they sum it up like this. It's to glorify God and to enjoy Him. That's why you're here, believe it or not. 
we make it about so many different things over the course of time, and of, of course, whatever our desires make it, but foundationally and fundamentally, that's what it is. So therefore, the only solution to the plight is to be near to God, and Christ is the only one who can take us there. We certainly, as the church, don't want to be elitists. We don't want to act like the circumcision, lording our relationship with God over other people, but understand that this is something that's pretty amazing and that most people in their lives don't get the opportunity or the glory to experience in this. And so, Christ being the one to take us there, I think it's important to see that peace and unity in and through Christ Jesus, because Christ is our great reconciling mediator. And while I didn't bring that up, understand that without Jesus bridging us back to the Father, without the gospel, the good news, we would all still be in verse 12. So praise the Lord in regards to that. Now, going on to point two, we talk about peace with God. We talk about peace in a multitude of different ways. We talk about peace certainly as the ending of hostility. We talk about peace, especially shalom from the Old Testament, the Hebrew word meaning completeness. It's God who makes us complete because we're always searching for and trying to fill that hole in who we are with a multitude of earthly things. But it's very much true, based on my experience, that it is only God that can fill what's missing in you. And so... Verse 14, verse 15, and verse 17 highlight the person of Christ for us. In verse 14, it says, for he himself is our peace. In verse 15, it says he's so making peace. And then in verse 17, and he came and preached peace to those. Christ is our peace, Christ makes peace, and Christ proclaims peace. This is why I say peace is not merely the ending of hostility, but much more so it's a comprehensive term, much like shalom is in the Old Testament in the Hebrew language, but I didn't bring out the Greek because I didn't want Chris to start talking in Greek later on. And so, the, the word oh, I did it anyway. <laughs> and so, it is the comprehensive term for salvation and much more our life with God. It is peace because we're going to see and especially as we're being the two into one God's purpose is to reconcile us it's to bridge us to restore us to favor to return us to a right and a real relationship with God one that from the day we're born doesn't really exist so Christ is our peace, Christ makes peace, and he proclaims peace. And how does he do that? He does that, as we'll see in verse 15, or 14, 15, 16, and 18, he makes Jew or Gentile one with himself to reconcile us to the Father. And so we see it in a multitude of different ways. He has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Okay? He abolished the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances so that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, making peace. 
and he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility again. And then verse 18, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. I think the important thing to see there is that there's no individualism when it comes to this spiritual relationship that we have with the Father. It is through the Son that we can have this relationship in the first place. Uh, again, the restoration to favor, the reconciliation, ending the wrath that we're under to bring peace. So, we need to talk briefly about reconciliation. Reconciliation is important because there would be no peace without reconciliation to restore us to that right and real relationship, to restore us to God's favor as opposed to us being under God's wrath. Many might not see it that way, that we're under God's wrath, but us human beings who feel like we're really in control and have a lot of power, uh, that needs to kind of die within us because I don't think there's a lot of power that we really truly do have. I think bacteria and viruses can take us down. I think we have zero control over the weather. I think diseases and ages and death come like a thief in the night and no one can prepare themselves for those types of things. You can talk about it, you can think about it, you can plan for it, you can worry about it too if you want, but none of those are constructive solutions that would ever solve that type of problem. And so, we are, in a sense, under wrath because sin is a problem. It's what separates us from God. It's that black stain over us in comparison to God's white, pure holiness. And so how does that end? And so, very simply, the ending of the hostility and the dividing wall of hostility and preaching peace to who are far off, peace who are near, is summed up in verse 16. He might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. When I said earlier we need God's mercy, and I realize that I'm very much under as much as Miguel's mercy, I'm under God's mercy, more so for everything in my life, and, and that mercy is a big deal, a big word, because it's not receiving the punishment I so rightly deserve. Many times in my youth and you know, even in my adult life, I've certainly used the Lord's name in vain. I've certainly worshipped many other things like money and relationships. I have certainly coveted other things as well. I've spoken ill of my father and mother. Uh, any of the Ten Commandments you can think of, certainly I've thought of. There's been hate, everything else. I'm not alone in this. I know that. I also know that there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because the old has died and the new has come. And it's in that reconciliation of Jesus taking the punishment that I so rightly deserve mercy, giving me mercy in the form of when I don't deserve mercy and that substitutionary atonement that the wrath of God that I am under changes to the favor of God which I don't deserve but man have I grown to seriously appreciate because I don't know about all of you but I, I again can consider my past life and for 35 years I lived in darkness until Christ Jesus called me out of darkness into his marvelous light and it's within his marvelous light that I walk now and will forever continue to walk 
because we are dealing with things that are eternal now rather than things that are temporary in our lives. And so we do, again, much like the title, have peace in and through Christ Jesus. And that's the only way that we can have that wholeness. It's the only way that hostility can end. It's the only way that that salvation, that, that fullness of life with God can actually exist. And so, here we are. Amen. Amen. Then, moving on to the very last point, and maybe the most significant one of that. So then, because of all this, because of the peace of Christ, because you have been brought near to God through Lord Jesus, you are no longer strangers and aliens. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Amen. Amen. Thank you. I'm glad to know I'm not the only member of the household of God. So, where is this? Well, God's been talking about this for a long time. God's had this gospel out there since Genesis chapter 3, when he talked about crushing the head of the serpent with the, the, the offspring of the woman. It's the proto-evangelia gospel, as they say. But long story short, because we're talking about thousands of years, right? God still has this plan to make a people for his own possession. Bam! That's exactly what we are. We are a people for his own possession. And it's built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone. If you know anything about buildings and architecture, there is a lot of cornerstone theology in the Old Testament too, and especially in the making of the temple. But the cornerstone, think about it very specifically this way, is that if the rest of the building crumbles, the cornerstone is still secure. The cornerstone is still safe. The cornerstone is still standing. So even if Gospel Life Bible Church, as a body of believers, crumbles, the cornerstone of Christ still stands. And it will always stand. And it will never not stand. Now, building on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, think about it maybe in two different ways. The apostles, New Testament. Prophets, Old Testament. God's bridging everything from the Old Testament to the New Testament together in making a people for his own possession. That's the gospel. That's the plan of salvation, right? Shouldn't be much of a surprise, but it can also be considered on what did the apostles teach and what did the prophets teach? And very similarly, just the same as bridging Old Testament and New Testament together in covenants, the apostles spoke of the Lord Jesus being the foretold Son of God, the promised Messiah from the Old Testament, and to turn to Jesus, if you will, to repent and believe, hold on to God. And same with the prophets. The prophets always had a threefold mission, which was very simply, hey, you're walking away from God, there's going to be consequences, turn back to God, and then future hope and glory in the Messiah. Every prophetic book covers those three things. Hey, you're going away from God. B, you need to return to God. And C, well, good news. The Messiah is going to come and he's going to change all these things later on in life. And so, here we are. 
that's built on the foundation. Consider what God continues to say. Many people want to make Christianity about something other than what it is, but it is entirely about Jesus and salvation. Yes, there's a lot about how to live life. Yes, there's a lot about many other things, but very simply, love Jesus, love people are the commandments, and God saves sinners of whom we all are. And he's creating a people for his own possession by saving those sinners and calling them out of darkness into their marvelous light. And so, brothers and sisters, make no mistake about this, that while we are individuals, we are no longer individuals, but we are one with our Lord Jesus. And we are one with one another who are in Christ. We are God's people. Amen. The church is not a building. It is the people. Which is why this is so exciting to me today, too. Because, hey, we're just a little closer together. Sure, it's not all, you know, with all the nice stained glass and, you know, screens and boards and microphones and things of that nature. But regardless of where we meet, we are God's people. Amen. We have taken the name Gospel Life Bible Church, but it doesn't change the fact that we're God's people. It doesn't change the fact that God's people exist elsewhere too, which is why we can't be like, well, we're so much better than all those other churches and all those other. No, at the foot of the cross, no one deserves to be at the foot of the cross. Every one of us have a tremendous blessing that we find ourselves at the foot of the cross and under God's mercy and salvation. Praise the Lord for all of this. And so, it does also stress how important each one of us are. While we say there's no longer individual, we're corporately together, I want you to know though, at the same time, individually, each and every one of us make a difference. Each and every one of us matter. Each and every one of us have special gifts and abilities and talents to use for the building up of other people. While we haven't gone through the 1 Corinthians 12 or the Romans 12 talking about spiritual gifts and whatnot, each and every one of you who are saved in Christ have a spiritual gift. At least one, okay? At least one, if not a multitude of them. Each and every one of those spiritual gifts that you individually have been given are not for you. They're for the blessing of other people. If this blessing of being able to interpret and communicate the word was only for me, where would that leave all of you? If Sean's gifts of technology and whatever, you know, weren't necessarily, you know, for us, then where would that lead us? The worship team and their gifts and talents to be able to, you know, stand up here. I mean, that takes a, a, a masterful measure of faith, right? To be able to sing in front of other people. Uh, a lot of us are in the back and we're like, oh, no, 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 no. but they, but they stand up here and do it under your judgment and criticism, if you will. Even though, let's hope that doesn't really exist, because you know they're not professionals, the same as I'm not a professional. But understand and see that each of us have gifts, and those gifts ultimately are for the betterment of every member of the church. Because it takes all of us. It's like when they say it takes a community to raise a child. That's where we find ourselves in a sense. And think about this, when you have a new believer come in, they are like a newborn. Very much so. 
they they understand Jesus a little bit, but odds are they don't really know their left hand from their right hand yet. They don't understand the the promises of God and the work of God that He's done in changing you. So we have to build that person up together too. John chapter three, you must be born again, which means you're going to start off as an infant and you're going to cry a lot. And you're not going to understand and you're not going to want to read the Bible and you're not going to want to do this. But again, coming together, that's how we can encourage one another. Each and every one of you are important. And we've tried to make that certainly uh, a motif of, of who we are as the church. And, and we say members matter and our church life covenant is out on the, the usual table out there. We didn't bring it in here for today, but it is what it is because every member does matter. Don't think anybody's not important. And certainly in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple of the Lord, in him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Life in Christ means unity with God and everyone else in Christ. And that resulting unit, union is the place where God chooses to reside. If you've ever read uh, Revelation chapter 24, it kind of gives you a little bit of preview of heaven. God is in our midst. He is our God. We are his people. Each and every one of us in the building of that temple is important to God. Does God ultimately need us? No. Does God want us? Yes. Does God love us? Yes. So this is where we find ourselves. And this is unity with God and his people. Because there's no building that doesn't have windows, that doesn't have doors, doesn't have knobs, doesn't have, you know, all the multitude of things. And again, I could go back and we could talk for about a half hour on temple theology and things of that nature to really bring this together. But understand that we are God's people, we are a building. Again, as much as he talks about the building and the holy temple, we can go to the vine and the vine dresser, we can go to a multitude of different metaphors to see that this is unity. This isn't individualism. And you're not gonna use God, God's going to use you. And so there's all these different flips that we see from the culture and society. And so I summed up all this text in one simple paragraph. The change of the gospel is that you who were once far off and alienated from God and his promises are now drawn near because of the sacrifice of Christ. We have been reconciled back to our Father and we now have peace with God because Jesus makes peace, preaches peace, and is our peace with God. We are one with him. Christ. And regardless of our background, we are being built together as God's people, his temple, by the work of Christ and God's gift of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, certainly I always thank you for your word. I thank you for your grace, your unmerited favor on our lives. Certainly we can thank you for your reconciliation in this moment, being restored to favor. Certainly we can thank you for the peace that surpasses all understanding, that guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. We thank you for the ending of the hostility. We thank you for the return of favor. And certainly we thank you for unity. We thank you for the opportunity to love Jesus and to love people, something that we weren't able to have before we were reconciled, thanks to Jesus. But Lord, here we are, and we thank you 
And we thank you that the gospel has changed our lives, that we are no longer on that trajectory of that wide road, but that we have started taking the narrow path and that we are following you, Lord Jesus. And as we follow you, Lord Jesus, continue to work within us, continue to sanctify us by the Spirit, continue to dwell with us in everything that we do, and may you continue to lead us and guide us. And as your people, just very simply, Lord, I hope we can glorify you and enjoy you with whatever our hands and feet find to do. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.